First Step podcast. On today's show, we are joined by the incredible Noran, a slow fashion designer from Egypt. Holly, last week's episode guest, kindly introduced me to Noran, and I'm so happy she did because today's episode brings so much joy, inspiration, and knowledge of how to build a business from scratch, especially in a devalued market. So everyone wondering how, during a recession or even post-pandemic, how you can even come up with the idea to set up your own business? Well, listen up, because we have it all in today's show. So without further ado, let's get into it. Hello, Norhan, and welcome to that First Step podcast. How are you today? I'm great, Jess. Thank you so much for having me today. My absolute pleasure. Your story is incredible, Norhan, from when you finished school to where you got to where you are today. So let's start off from the very beginning. When you were younger, what did you want to be when you grew up and what did you study after school? Well, this is a great question. So, um, so ever since I was very young, a very young toddler, uh, three, four years old, I used to draw and paint with my mom. So she, I used to see her drawing um, and I would sit down next to her, get my things, whatever that was at that point, colored books, baby. And I would sit next to her and, and see what she's doing and do it. So by the time I hit um, age 12, uh, my mom had already focused with me on getting out my artistic talent. She, she saw th- something basically, and she decided to invest in it. So she would take me to drawing and painting classes. Um, so I was very lucky in the sense that my mother and her father as well were very artistically and creatively driven. Um, early teens came, I started getting interested into fashion and then I started buying fashion magazines for teens whenever I travel anywhere. Um, and it's worth men- mentioning that at that time in, I'm based in Cairo, Egypt. So at that time, um, our fashion industry was going through a slump. Uh, let's put it this way. So, um, I started drawing dresses when I was 12 years old and I I didn't really put much thought into it. By the time I was 15, I started designing my own prom dresses and I did it with our, my grandmother's seamstress. Um, So I was very lucky as well that I found someone who would listen to a 15 year old girl trying to explain to her with a very like weird sketch (laughs) what kind of dress she wants. And I repeated the same experience with her when I was 18 graduating school. And so at that point I had a feeling that, okay, I want to set up my own business and I want to have a fashion brand. And my mother was very supportive. She thought it's something that would suit me perfectly and uh, it would give me the kind of flexibility and and working terms that I would be comfortable with. Um, But I couldn't find a degree in Egypt that does fashion design. So I ended up actually studying um, double majoring in business and in fine arts for a while. And right before graduating, I actually ended up dropping my 
art major because it was going to extend me for too long in undergrad and I realized, okay, I want fashion. I don't want fine arts. Uh, and I was almost done with the major, but I was like, okay, I'm not going to waste more time on that. I'm going to drop it, although I love it, but it's my hobby and I'm always going to be doing it probably. And now I want to pursue my master's degrees in the UK um, in something that is more relevant to fashion and I'll figure this out when I graduate. So. I graduated, I worked in finance and investment actually. And then I, all the time, I still thought of fashion. I never stopped thinking about fashion. And I, my creative side was so unsatisfied in finance that I was always looking for something to do creatively. So I started building my portfolio and I took technical courses here in Egypt and in, in fashion illustration and draping and sewing and pattern making to build my portfolio and apply to universities in the UK and luckily I got a scholarship uh, fully funded and I was able to do sustainable fashion at uh, Goldsmiths uh, University of London. The degree was a creative and cultural entrepreneurship degree and I was able to specialize in sustainability and fashion basically. Nora and that is Amazing. I, I genuinely, I love that because I too studied finance. And when I left school, I went into finance and there was always a part of me that, you know, I needed to fulfill that creative side. And in my instance, I started a blog, but in your instance, you went ahead and pursued your passion, but the back of your mind, there was always that niggling feeling, as you said, no, this is more than just a hobby. I want this to be my career. And you went ahead and pursued the portfolio and moved to London to Goldsmiths. What an incredible, you know, world-renowned school. So could you tell us a bit about your time at Goldsmiths and what you learned about sustainable fashion and entrepreneurship? So Goldsmiths was amazing, honestly. I did not expect it to be what it was because I already had been working in investment and entrepreneurship. And I had a very, uh, I had a rough vision of more or less what I wanted the brand to be. I wanted it to be uh, a positive uh, brand with a good impact developmentally. I wanted it to uh, cherish uh, Egyptian culture and heritage because there's so much beauty in it that extends beyond ancient Egypt and the pharaohs. Um, and also I wanted it to, to be unique in a way, I, I liked fashion. I was drawn to fashion, but at the same time, it never sat right with me. My persona is not necessarily a, a, a fashion persona that you might see in a magazine. It's more of the behind the scenes person, like any creative, basically. This is what I've come to learn, that this is what the case with any fashion designer, probably, um, which are the faces that you don't necessarily see all the time in the industry. And so I, I applied to three different schools and I ended up choosing, uh, and I got even into L London College of Fashion, but then something pulled me towards Goldsmiths because of number one, the flexibility they were giving me over the interview. I thought they, they basically the world was my oyster. I could do whatever I wanted with a degree and Whereas some people might not be comfortable with this idea. To me, this was heaven. I wanted loose guidance, but I wanted the autonomy to build whatever I wanted. And at the same time, I wanted them to 
to welcome disruptive ideas or ideas they weren't used to seeing uh, uh, generally in, in the fashion industry. Um, so my time at Goldsmiths was very unique. This is actually the way in which I was able to meet Holly. <laughs> so um, um, I made an amazing group of creative friends in, the, in my master's degree. It wasn't just fashion. So my creative and cultural entrepreneurship degree included musicians, writers, artists, uh, filmmakers, photographers, uh, everything. So all, all walks of creativity were there in one classroom under one roof, which also with my fine arts background was ideal, an ideal setting for me. Um, and I wanted my fashion skills to thrive within such an environment. And all of the things that I wished for actually were realized at Goldsmiths. I had the freedom. I had the insane creativity around me. I had the amazing uh, uh, liberty in being able to do something disruptive, um, especially when it came to sustainability and slow fashion. Um, so they were advocating for it and they were celebrating it. Whereas a lot of people in the industry were generally having doubts about it and um, so basically my entire experience was priceless uh, everything that i researched throughout my master's degree was uh, a preparation for my brand and i'm currently actually implementing it on the grounds without even looking back at my paperwork and my research so every time i just open it and try and remember uh, what it was like or want to reminisce or I'm feeling a bit nostalgic, I realized that I'm actually doing things now without looking at it every single day. So it just became, uh, it built the foundation for everything that, that uh, ended up being the brand, what it is today. We have a lot of people on this. Well, so far, Nora, and you're a fourth guest, so not a lot of people, but everyone so far has mentioned goal setting and writing down in their journal and manifesting what they want. Is that something you would have practiced in the build up to creating your brand? So, yes, I realized that I had a lot of notes <laughs> that accumulated over the years, and they, I was amazed by that now because it, they go back to 2013 these notes so and i launched the brand in 2018 so the notes were too close and too accurate to what actually ended up being happening um so yes i i sort of did it maybe it wasn't as organized or as as deliberate as it might sound now but at the time i was just making sure that i'm keeping my ideas and my my points of inspiration in one place and even when I applied to the scholarship, it was a UK um, government scholarship. It's the Shevening Scholarship. And so my more or less the idea that I applied to the scholarship with is my brand. So it somehow evolved into what it is today because of the notes that I was able to keep track of. And there are, some of the notes are not even notes. They're sketches. They're small sketches. They're... Uh, little doodles, they're little motifs that I see in my culture and in my heritage. And so somehow they're being realized now as we, as we speak. So I, I think it's, this would fall under that, <laughs> it, but in a very, very unstructured manner, because a lot of people start thinking that you are so organized from the very beginning. 
which is not the case. So I didn't know exactly what the master's degree was going to be when I graduated school or when I decided to drop fine arts as a major. And I definitely did not know that this is what the brand is going to look like and what it would include when I was taking these random notes or making these random sketches. That's amazing. I, I love that because it just shows you don't always have to be perfect to start off. And that's another theme we've kind of explored, you know, just launching your business and adapting and using your creative ways to keep the business moving and not being afraid to just go for it, regardless of where you think you are in that phase. So leaving London, Noran, after your master's at Goldsmiths, what steps did you take or what was that first step to launching your slow fashion brand? So um, I stayed in London for over a year and I absolutely loved it. And I tried actually to stay on a bit longer because throughout my degree, I was lucky enough to be able to intern um, during London Fashion Week with one of the designers that have been there for, uh, I think at that point they were there for 12 years. Uh, Ashley Isham, it's a very known Singaporean designer. And we even had interns coming from Parsons Paris to actually intern with us during London Fashion Week. Obviously the internship extended beyond London Fashion Week so it was much longer than than the week itself because before the the London Fashion Week there is there are a lot of preparation that they need extra help with and after London Fashion Week you also need to do a lot of fixing and organizing and and preparing for the actual launch. Um, so I wanted to grow my experience in that sense, but unfortunately I couldn't uh, for residency purposes. You you actually have to end up coming back at some point if you don't find uh, uh, an opportunity that can sponsor you. So I came back and right when I came back, we devalued our currency here in Egypt. So suddenly everything costs double what it used to before I actually left Egypt. Right when I came back, like 10 days after I settled back in, my entire plans were blown to bits. (laughs) I had to revisit my entire business plan. My plan was to come back and work and assume uh, my old job again. I took an educational leave to actually save up and be able to launch the brand in tandem with my job, Uh, but everything, increased so much so that I couldn't actually do that because of the salaries did not catch up fast enough with what's happening, which delayed me. So I came back late 2016 and I ended up launching the brand um, a year and a half later. So March 2018 or beginning actually of 2018, I decided that that was it. I'm not going to stall any longer. Uh, and while working, I had started building a foundation of the brand. So I did some branding. I did the logo. I tried to figure out where I'm going to produce. Um, I started working on the first collection, which was a tiny collection of only five distinct desi- designs. I did even half what you would co- consider a collection. And I was encouraged by my friends and family to launch regardless of how imperfect it was or how small I could afford it to be. I couldn't afford it to be a a big collection. I could only do a limited quantity. 
And uh, it took me quite some time to get there. So I ended up launching the first collection in September 2018. And from there, things have been crazy. <laughs> and the rest is history. <laughs> and that's amazing. And the fact that you came back from London with so many amazing ideas. And unfortunately, an economic turn affected your next move. But it sounds like you did not let that stop you and you're a force of nature. And you said, this isn't a full stop. This is just a pause. And in a year and a half, which happened, you came back stronger and started your brand with five pieces. How did you decide those five pieces? Was it market research? Did you speak with a manufacturer? You know, how did you come about to discover that I'm going to start with these five pieces in my first collection? So there were five distinct designs, but uh, the total size of the collection were, it was only 25 pieces, I think, or 30 pieces, if I remember correctly. So those five distinct designs were in different colors, uh, two colors each. And uh, three of those, or two of those designs were actually my graduation project at Goldsmiths. Oh, so wow. they were the foundation of the brand. It was uh, based on the concept of modularity of clothes and how if you incorporate modular design in the, des in the design of the clothes themselves, you can actually become modular in the sense that you can implement this design in various different ways and also style it in so many different ways, which means that you are able to build a capsule wardrobe around it where you can buy very limited pieces buy them wisely and slowly and become more sustainable in your consumption habits. And so the initial original piece is a little black dress and it was inspired by the lotus flower, which was about rebirth and it's a very strong symbol in ancient Egypt and not just in ancient Egypt, lotus, the lotus flower is very, very strong as a symbol up until today, 2020. And it's just survived through all of the past 7,000 years. <laughs> and so the lotus flower to me was rebirth for fashion as a concept in Egypt, my own rebirth and, and shifting my career and finally doing my, what I want and the rebirth of the notions of fashion that we're usually used to. Um, and at that point, the status quo of the industry. And so I incorporated the lotus motif into the cut lines of the dress. And this dress was implemented as a little black dress and also as a crop top and a pencil skirt. And so those were already two of my pieces out of the five. And then I wanted to also incorporate hand embroidery uh, because it's uh, underrated and, and people don't necessarily uh, see it much anymore. It's a skill that a lot of the artisans are no longer uh, able to maintain it because there's no demand for it. So I went ahead and did two pieces, uh, a blazer and a vest. They were also based on modular designs. So they were built out of building blocks, smaller building blocks, little squares that came together. And some of these squares had embroidery in them. And finally, I wanted to do something that was very simple and very versatile to show the different variations of mod modularity or, or versatility in fashion and how it can be. And they were a simple black dress that also came in, in white. So they were just very basic pieces, pieces that I attempted to 
simplify to try and bring the concept across to the people. And because it was so closely related to my graduation project, I thought with the same concept and the mindset in order to implement it this way. And the fact that it was such a small uh, number of pieces, only five different designs, enabled me to actually put everything into each and every design to be able to tell people this is the brand identity. This is what I want to be doing uh, forever, hopefully. That is literally my wardrobe. I have dresses, <laughs> blazers, crop top skirts. It's the perfect work wardrobe, but work wardrobe into weekend, you know? So you definitely, exactly. yeah, yeah. You definitely nailed it, I think, with that capsule collection. And what girl doesn't want to be able to throw six pieces into a handbag and here's, here's her wardrobe, you know? Exactly. So in the graduation project itself, the black dress, we styled it, I styled it together with a friend in six different ways, the skirt on its own in six different ways, and the crop uh, top itself on its own in six different ways. And this was the whole idea behind it, is that exactly those uh, five pieces, if you own one of each of them, the amount of outfits that you can come up with is going to be countless. It's just... Um, people, I think, with fast fashion lost the connection that they had with their wardrobe and their clothes. And once you regain this connection, which happened to me organically because of my research and my studies, you start seeing your clothes every time you take them out in a different light. You start seeing the many different ways you are able to use them up, literally use them up. <laughs> um, and the many ways you, you start loving them and connecting to them. Because essentially what clothes are is they are an extension of your own self-expression. So for me, uh, I live and breathe it because I design and make clothes as well. But for other people who don't necessarily need to design and make to, to maintain this strong connection with, with their sets themselves, for them it's also an extension of their expression by just wearing and selecting. Um, so all of this was very important and I felt like uh, unfortunately, us Egyptians, we lacked this. We lacked the, the brand that you can go to, buy something and feel like you're wearing a piece of your identity or your heritage or something that you so closely relate to because you understand it and you've lived through it growing up. So it is amazing to have this capsule idea of pieces that you absolutely love. Absolutely. And you mentioned the fabrics and the material you're using. In order to create a sustainable, slow fashion brand, was it difficult for you to source the material involved and make sure even the manufacturing and the production and the whole process was in line with your uh, beliefs and ethos? Absolutely. It was a challenge and it's a challenge that I knew was going to happen uh, before going even on my master's degree because I had already started reading about sustainability and sustainable fabrics. And I knew that it was unavailable for the most part in Egypt or difficult to find, although inherently our textile manufacturing industry was very, very sustainable or was more sustainable than what it is today. So this is why I, I tried to build a business that is still sustainable, but is not going to rely solely on the type of fabric that I'm using. The type of fabric is going to always be a, a, a target that I aspire towards to always be improving. 
but it's not going to be the foundation because if it is the foundation, it's going to stop me from starting. And this is why I chose slow fashion and a capsule wardrobe instead to be the foundation of the brand. Um, so, and I don't, I never talk to my audience telling them that we use 100% natural material. This is not what I say, but what I try to do instead is actually educate my audience and be fully transparent with them about the fabrics that I'm using. That even if the fabric is extremely uh, eco-friendly, your consumption habits and the speed of consumption is still going to wreck the environment. It's not about the type of fabric more than it is about consuming less. And by consuming better and by loving the pieces that you have, if you buy a watch that you absolutely love, and you end up investing in it a little more money than you usually would, odds are it's going to become a family heirloom at some point. And my mother and grandmother, um, they are the ones who helped me understand this because they handed down to me a lot of the clothes that was no, they no longer, it no longer fit them. They no longer liked it. And what I noticed about these clothes that I have pieces in my wardrobe that are 50 years old and the condition is impeccable. Impeccable, perfect condition. And if it's not perfect, it's mended and no one can see that it's mended. And it's very normal for seams to come out when, when clothes last that long, but you can still fix it. It's something that you can always mend, always keep. So these clothes, I was so attached to them because they belong to two of the people that I love most in my life. And so I, I want to recreate this experience for people. And then you realize that fabric is not the foundation of a slow fashion brand anymore. You, can, you always have to aspire to use better fabric, but you can also shed light on the fact that if you use organic cotton, but you buy 10 t-shirts per month, it's as bad as when you buy a regular t-shirt. So it's about the idea of how to select better clothes, why it's so important to have quality clothes, why it's important to have a brand that allows you to alter, to mend, to fix. So this is something that comes automatically with the piece you buy from the brand. You can alter it, you can customize it. If you have a special figure, a special figure, a special height, a special whatever you need for yourself, you want it a bit longer, a bit shorter, uh, you have a tiny waist, but you have fuller hips. Uh, all of this is part of a sustainable approach. It's a holistic approach rather than just being uh, based on eco-friendly fabrics. And our aim is to hopefully uh, with time to improve our supply chain. So now we use a lot of cottons, we use a lot of linens. And even when we use blended material, we use blended woven material of higher quality that has a, a very big component of cotton in it. So cottons usually are very comfortable, they last long and they're breathable in a very hot climate like one that is ours and people love it. So um, it's so good to be able to fulfill uh, your dream in having a, a brand with a positive impact, knowing that it doesn't, again, it doesn't have to be perfect, but we have to start somewhere and then we, our big edge is that we are able to actually educate uh, our audience and bring awareness about the matter and be very transparent with them. So tell them, yes, our fabrics are not 100% sustainable, but what we want you to actually focus on is the pieces that you love and don't buy much from us. 
buy less. And if it's more expensive, this means that you need to just account for it, budget for it, because it's a piece that we guarantee you is going to last you for a very long time. What a powerful message. Noran, I want people to press pause and go back and re-listen to what you just said, because it's, it's so right. I mean, I have a coat in my wardrobe that my Nana bought me when I was 18. I'll t- I'm 28 soon, so it's 10 years old. And I adore it. And when the button came off, I just sewed it back on. And it's because, you know, you feel so much love. And when you put on that special piece on your body, it just puts you in a great mood. And, you know, having clothes that make you feel good and make you happy, it's so important. So that message you you pass on and that you spread through your brand is so important. And I hope people hear that today. And they go and the next time they're shopping are more conscious about their purchases. Thank you, Jess. (laughs) Noran, seriously, it's so true. And even, I suppose, you mentioned about your supply chain. Besides that, the business element of the e-commerce, the getting your taxes sorted, you know, the business element and maybe the uh, online element of your business. I'm sure that was, you know, also difficult to build up to what it is today. What steps did you take to educate yourself or maybe outsource that element of the business? So um, a lot of the things happened um, because of my previous work in the entrepreneurship ecosystem in Egypt. I had, luckily, I had the right type of contacts that were able to come in handy when I was launching the business. So I... In one of the entrepreneurship events that were happening right after I launched my brand, I met a friend or I bumped into a friend and he was like, do you have a website? I'm like, no, not yet. He's like, do you know that I'm a Shopify expert? So I actually help brands set up their own stores and I can walk you through it. So it's so easy. Uh, And I resisted it for a bit at, at the beginning, but then because he's my friend, he kept insisting that you should have it. You have to have it from day one. Let me show you. You will see how easy it is. And this is the thing about us. Uh, when you start your own business, you always feel like the thing that you need to do, but don't know how to do it. It feels like the heaviest weight uh, or burden that you can probably encounter. Whereas in reality, it's much, much simpler than you think. And when I sat down with him, we did it virtually. There was no COVID-19 at the time, but we didn't need to see each other even. We had a call, he shared his screen with me via Zoom. And what we did is we actually built the website in 30 minutes. And then he was like, okay, I'll leave you now. Keep uploading your pictures, keep writing your descriptions. And tomorrow I'm checking in with you. The next day, the website was up and running. It was already ready. And I read, and then I bumped into a second cousin of mine and I realized he has a logistics company that can ship my uh, products. So it was sort of the right network coupled with good luck (laughs) and uh, things just became so much smoother from there so everything was set up so now when the crisis hit I was already in place like I already had my online shop I already was not relying heavily on retail I had retail partners but my online shop was doing much better than the retail and so right before Uh, lockdown I was preparing for my new collection I pulled everything from on the ground and I decided to stick to online 
and and suddenly I I realized that I was in an ideal state. I have everything under my arms. My website is up and running. My logistics are up and running. All I need to do is just communicate to my clients that they can shop online easy. And suddenly I had an influx of people that never shopped online, shopping online because of COVID-19. So it was, uh, it, it's so good to feel now yani, that I didn't actually resist him to an extent that I delayed the website because it felt like it's such a, an expensive thing that I have to go through. And then I realized it's not expensive at all. It's going to take me no time. It's something that I actually enjoy, like the excitement level that comes with every new collection when I'm uploading it on the website is, is amazing. It's great. There is always great energy when I'm uploading the new collection. Uh, and, um, and so I would say it's, it's really important to just keep telling yourself. You will try to stop yourself from doing the next step. But in reality, it's so much easier than we talk ourselves into. Um, so yeah, that's for the logistics side of it. And one more thing about the website. So currently with COVID-19, at the beginning, we weren't really interested in selling. Um, and we were thinking, how am I? It felt inappropriate almost to sell to people because everyone was so shocked. People were, didn't understand what's going on. Lives were flipped upside down um, and jobs were being cut, salaries were being cut. And, and so it felt very odd to be selling to people. But again, we, we started using the platform and our social media accounts as, an, as a voice to, to, to communicate with our clients more than selling. So obviously this part is integral. If I didn't have it yet, if I didn't have my audience, if I didn't have my followers on Instagram, I wouldn't have been able to go through the crisis as a business as smoothly as I am now. That's a great lesson. It just shows that, you know, before any crisis happens, you almost need to be up in all angles. You know, if you want to make sure that your business can survive you know, anything, even say, for example, one of the retail outlets had shut down, that you're not reducing your sales because of an external factor. So the mm -hmm. fact that you were fully equipped to handle any external factors affecting your sales, that's a testament to you as a businesswoman, Noran, and something definitely inspirational to our listeners today. Um, Thank you. Noran, I was on your website and your clothes are so beautiful. You can tell the love and the time and the energy that has been put into them. But I've just realized we haven't yet mentioned the name of your brand. So how did you even think of the name? It's so unusual. It's beautiful. So it's uh, my family name, basically. Very simply put, it's my family name, but I spelt it differently. Because every time, uh, whenever I met someone from a different country, even my own country, my name is so unusual in, in, in our own country, the family name, that people used to misspell it and mispronounce it. So uh, I try to sit down with people with different uh, native languages to actually, or native speakers of different languages, to try and get to a spelling that would be... Um, as easy as possible for everyone to read properly and write. And the reason why I chose the, so it's Sakut basically. Uh, and Sakut is 
different things culturally. So Sakut is a, a, a region in Nubia, in south of Egypt or between Sudan and Egypt. And um, this is where we were able to trace back our ancestry, that somehow uh, our great grandfather was settled there or was based there and one of the brothers just left and traveled north and settled closer to the Delta. And this is why we have this lineage or the heritage we were able to go back there and trace that we are actually probably of Nubian descent. So that's one thing. And this is why it was so important for me. It felt right to name the brand uh, that is about cultural heritage, that is about tracing roots, that is about celebrating your heritage and my own personal journey combined, that the name would be perfect for it. It's also a type of date. And probably the date name comes from the region. So there is a Sakut type of date here in Egypt. It's very known in Luxor and Aswan in the south. And, um, and finally, um, again, because of my family and them being biggest supporters and biggest source of inspiration, um, it felt only right to name it Sakut. That is so beautiful. Um, my surname is Looney, so I definitely won't be naming anything after that anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> but Norhan, your surname Sakut is so beautiful and you're so right. It, it's perfect. You are creating a long line of beautiful clothing. So the lines that you're creating, the lineage, you're using your heritage and your culture and your symbolism in creating these beautiful pieces. And you hope these pieces will be too passed down through the generations. So you're your family to come and your generations to come will also be able to enjoy these hand-me-downs of beautiful clothes. So perfect name, perfect name. <laughs> so Noran, I want, I always like to reflect on, you know, people's journeys. So going back to your 18, 19 year old self and you're studying business and fine arts, what would you tell that woman back then to make her you know, realize that it's going to be okay and you're going to, you're going to be really successful in the next couple of years? <laughs> so that was very interesting because um, as a creative, um, you always, you're your own self, your own worst critic. And that's something that we say a lot in the creative community, but it's really true. And any creative you speak to, they will attest to that they would confirm that this is what they do to themselves. So it took me 10 years to launch the brand. Okay. I started university 2008 and ever since day one, I knew that I wanted to launch the brand and I ended up launching it in 2018. Um, maybe it's perfect timing that it launched in 2018, but it took me very long and there were already other brands popping up in Egypt since 2013 and 14. So I wasn't one of the first people to revive the fashion industry, although maybe I'm one of the first people to do slow fashion and sustainability. Uh, but it took me too long. And it was all because of this inner self-critic that was basically hindering your confidence from shining through. And if there's one thing that I would tell myself, it would be to trust yourself more and trust that you have the talent that is needed to to make something like this successful or make it special. And uh, I would also tell her great job on staying true to yourself and actually 
always making it personal and also making it uh, very genuine so that people can recognize it right away. So a positive thing and a constructive criticism. <laughs> a perfect balance. I think we all need something positive, but something constructive because that will help us grow and learn and become better people at the end of the day. Absolutely. And Noran, what three tips would you give another entrepreneur about to start off on a new business? So three tips would be um, always be genuine and honest. People see that and they feel it. Uh, whether you're doing a service or a product, it doesn't matter, but they see it. Um, and the second thing would be um, to build your own network of trusted mentors and friends that will be able to support you. Um, and it's not very calculated when you do it, but you will feel that you have like-minded people coming in your life, whether they're older mentors or friends. Because this one friend that I mentioned regarding the website, for instance, he didn't have to do that. But because of the previous relationship, he was able to push you in the right direction. So you're the right friends and your right network and your right mentors will be able to do that. And the third thing would be um, to believe in yourself. Just believe in yourself and don't let your inner self-critic ruin it for you, basically. Nora, what a perfect message to end the podcast on. Where can everyone find you and your beautiful brand, Sakut? So um, you can find me on my website. It's uh, www.sakut.com. Uh, the spelling is a bit complicated, so it's S-A-Q-H-O-U-T-E dot com. Um, I'm on Instagram. They can also shop me internationally on um, shopauthentique.co. Uh, and if you come across our website or our Instagram, you'll find all the necessary information. We will be launching international shipping soon as well. So everyone around the world will be having direct access to the brand. Noran, I will share all those links below in the show notes so everyone can click straight through. And I highly recommend people checking out your Instagram because you see beautiful models modeling your clothing and showing how gorgeous the quality is and in natural, in natural light as well, I think, which is so important. <laughs> so Noran, thank you so much for taking the time this evening. It's been an absolute pleasure hearing all about your story and you've definitely inspired me to make more conscious decisions about my wardrobe. Um, so thank you so much again. Thank you. Thank you, Jess. So there you go. Another incredible entrepreneur sharing her story. Norhan's journey has been quite a different one, but I definitely learned a thing or two, especially to be more conscious about my fast fashion and all fashion, fast and slow consumption. I hope you enjoy this episode so please give me some feedback and if you learned anything I hope it is to make sure you follow your dreams even if it takes a little bit longer than you first anticipated okay next week's episode guys it is such a good one I know you're sick of me saying this but we talk all things Botox so please make sure to tune in next Monday it goes live at 6am so subscribe to Apple Podcasts and follow on Spotify so it gets downloaded straight onto your app 
and ready for you to start your Monday by taking that first step. Until then, thank you so much guys and have a lovely week. Bye-bye.